Good morning again. Grab your Bibles and make your way to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark comes after the Gospel of Matthew before the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 7 this morning. We'll be focusing on verses 24 through 30. And uh, one thing we're going to notice, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, if you're visiting, what we've been doing is we've been walking through all the Gospels and putting them together as chronologically as we can in this series. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus moves from where he was teaching, where he was uh, talking about clean and, and defiled things. But the event today actually coincides with what Jesus was teaching previously in this chapter. You also see, you can find this uh, passage in the Gospel of Matthew as well. And Mark was led by the Spirit in writing this, being probably dictated by Peter, uh, to continue to build on the understanding of what is, in fact, unclean, or what is defiled, what is evil, what is sinful. It began in the beginning of chapter 7 when Jesus challenged the ceremonial washing, which was a tradition of the elders. And he challenged that, and then he took it a little further, saying that it's not the dirty hands, it's not the dirty pots, or the dirty vessels, or the dirty cushions, which makes a person unclean. Because food goes into the mouth, and Jesus says, then it eventually gets digested and comes out of the body. What makes an individual unclean is the heart. The heart of the individual is what calls or brings out the evil acts that Jesus mentioned earlier in this chapter. You can look at it later today if you like. And so what Jesus is going to do today through an event with a woman is he's going to amplify this Jewish belief of not only concerning the Messiah, but of people who are not a part of the covenantal family. And he's going to make a point, which the, we're going to see the disciples aren't going to actually get the point uh, through this interaction with this woman. So we're going to begin in verse 24. Our focus this morning is God's overflow of mercy. And then from there he arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray before we walk through this. Father, we again thank you for the love, for the grace you've given us, for this mercy that we don't deserve, which is why it's mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you've poured out your loving kindness upon us. You have provided for us. You've blessed us above and beyond what we deserve. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, as many people here, is their Lord and Savior, for the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life, the promise that we belong to you and we are known by you, and now we can come and we can know you more. Lord, I pray in this time that you just speak through me, let your words impact our hearts and transform us. Let us be moved by what a great and awesome God you are. Thank you for this confession of faith 
with Adam this morning to start off the service. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs to find forgiveness for their sins and be given eternal life and to follow in the steps of baptism, I pray your spirit would reveal that to them today. Pray that you alone be glorified and your will and kingdom be the only thing to be done in this place. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you can see, like I mentioned, this passage is also found in the Gospel of Matthew. And so with this series, what we've been doing is we've been pulling all the accounts together to get this incredible image of what we can learn about what takes place. Now, Matthew gives us a few more details. We're going to draw that out. The events uh, begin that Jesus is leaving the region of Galilee. And he's heading to the region there in verse 24 of Tyre and Sidon. Now, there's probably a notation after the word Sidon in your passage uh, in verse 24. It's going to tell you that Sidon is not actually found in the older manuscripts. We've dealt with this in the past couple weeks. But because of the aid of Matthew, Matthew has Tyre and Sidon. And so that's most likely why it was inserted here in in Mark. Uh, This would place this encounter somewhere along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. This would have been a predominantly Gentile area, but since we're told that Jesus went into a house, we can know that there are Jewish people there in that region because Jews would not stay with anyone else who was not a Jew. The territory is known for its wealth. It was known for its diverse population with individuals coming from Greek, Roman, Assyrian, and Jewish background. It was a melting pot of nationalities, which also led to many pagan rituals and idolatrous practices. It's the same area, if you were to turn into the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 7, where we encounter the prophet Elijah going to the widow and helping her out and her son that has died. As mentioned in previous events we look at, this flows out of what Jesus was teaching as he's going to cast out a demon. And it flows out of the, the unclean and what is clean and what's not clean and what is defied or defiled. And as Jesus is in this area, as we're going to see in the next couple weeks, he never does any teaching. He's allowing his actions and what he's doing to be the lesson. It's more like an object lesson. He does miracles, and he does signs, and he does healing. The reason we're told that Jesus left Galilee is that he wanted to get away. He wanted to go into solitude. He wanted to take his disciples with him, though Mark doesn't point out the disciples are with him. Again, when we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew does show us that the disciples are with him. So we can probably come to this understanding. The reason Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples is because they didn't understand the teaching that he had been given back in the synagogue. They weren't able to comprehend what is actually defiled and what is unclean. The problem is, as he comes to this region, Jesus' notoriety has begun to grow. So even though he wanted to remain hidden, it didn't take long for the people of the area to come looking for him. In verse 25, we are introduced to the main focus of this event. There's a woman that comes to Jesus who has a daughter who is possessed by an unclean spirit, possessed by a demon. Now, it isn't until verse 26 that we begin to understand the complexity of this situation. Matthew's account is quick to point out that this woman that comes to Jesus, she is a Canaanite. Though we read Gentile here in the Gospel of Mark in verse 26, the more accurate reading instead of Gentile is that she was a Greek. So she was in the midst of Hellenistic practices and worshiping of the Greek gods. At surface level for us in 2023, this might not seem like a problem. You know, we're not to judge people. But in the context of Jesus' day, this was a huge issue. 
And this is something disciples and Jesus are going to have to overcome and work through, or Jesus is going to have to work through. The first issue that emerges is that we're told she's a woman. And in this day, women did not go seeking men. They, they, it, was, it was looked down upon. It was culturally unacceptable. And because no husband is mentioned attached to this woman, it makes many wonder if she, in fact, is a widow like the prophet Elijah encountered back in the Old Testament. Both the woman in 1 Kings and the woman here in Mark and Matthew, they come to Jesus or they come to the prophet and they come in desperate need. The second issue, which Matthew and Mark point out as well, is the woman is not a Jew. She is a Syrophoenician, which means that she probably has a multiple of nationalities in her family tree. This would place the woman below a Samaritan in the Jewish eyes, who they looked at them as dogs. They were half-breeds. They were mutts. And she would be below them because she has no Jewish ties whatsoever. And so the issue is, is that Jews, they don't associate with non-Jews. Because if you associate with a non-Jew, then that would make you defiled. It would make you unclean. And so this is the teaching lesson that Jesus is trying to do out through this object lesson. Though it might seem like not much to us, it, during this time, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He has already been recognized in his ministry as a Jewish rabbi. He's been recognized as a Jewish healer. He was known for his miracles and his teachings among the Jews. And so the understanding of the culture helps us understand why the conversation is so brief between Jesus and this woman and why at first he's so hesitant to offer her any aid. In Matthew's account of, the, of this event, the woman comes to Jesus crying out continuously, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Matthew also points out that Jesus doesn't respond to her initially at all. He almost completely ignores her, which is why she keeps begging Jesus to act on behalf of her daughter. So if the woman is in fact a widow then her daughter is the only thing she has left. This woman is desperate in need of Jesus to do something. Matthew also points out the disciples also began begging Jesus. The scenario is Jesus went to get away, and now he's bombarded with a begging woman and eventually begging disciples. And imagine if we were in this situation, we'd be getting pretty frustrated. We were just wanting to get a break. We're just wanting to get away, and we would shout, can we just get a moment? You have to keep in mind, Jesus knew this was going to take place. He's God in the flesh. He knew this woman was going to show up. He knew this is going to be a huge teaching lesson for disciples, but they're still not going to understand it, just like they didn't understand the heart issue, just like they didn't understand why someone wasn't unclean if they ate from unclean things. But Matthew points out the disciples were getting frustrated. We have to remember the last time that Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples was after they came back from the first ministry trip. And they came back and he said, let's go to the other side so we can get away. And in that occurrence, they were bombarded by over 5,000 people wanting to see Jesus, to be healed, to be taught. Because the disciples wanting to get away with Jesus to learn what actually makes a person unclean. What makes someone cut off from God? Again, the Jews believed that if you associated with anyone that was non-Jewish, 
That would make you unclean. That would make you defiled. And so this is why we have these lessons leading up to this event as Jesus goes into this, re- into this region. Now, after the begging goes on and on, and that's what the word begged means, is that she was ongoing, asking and pleading for Jesus to do something in her life. Jesus responds like a, a parent to a child to try to settle the matter. But his response comes across a little harsh there in verse 27. This is Jesus, though. He's breaking down cultural walls and cultural barriers. He's done it before when he associated with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 3 and and met her at the well and talked to her, and and she was a half-Jew. This woman has no Jewish ancestry whatsoever, and she's asking the Jewish Messiah to come to her aid. And because of her cry, which Matthew gives us, the woman seems to have a better understanding of who Jesus is than the religious leaders he's already dealt with. She seems to have a better understanding of who Jesus is, even, than, even more than his disciples seem to have at times. He has a better, she has a better understanding of who Jew, Jesus is compared to the Jewish people that Jesus has been healing and teaches. She calls out in Matthew 15, 22, O Lord, Son of David. This would mean that she understood that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised to King David in what is known as the Davidic covenant from 2 Kings chapter 7. As a matter of point, every time the woman addresses Jesus, both in Mark and in Matthew, it's always done with the term Lord, which is a title of respect. At times it can be read as sir, but in this particular occasion from the Greek, the woman is saying to Jesus that he is the master, that he is the owner. He's in charge. This woman has probably never heard any of Jesus' teachings. She may have heard about the miracles or healings that are happened, but she definitely has never gone to a Jewish synagogue to sit under Jesus' teaching. She's heard about some great power coming out of him, and she comes and shows him more respect than her Jewish counterparts. Still, Jesus' response has to be understood because, again, at face value, it seems harsh. So when he finally looks at the woman, he says, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's verse 27. This, again, is a mini-parable, like we saw last week with the, the heart being defiled. And Jesus taught in the synagogue there in verse 17, or verse 15. Like there, it meant it's a type of riddle. A type of riddle to help someone gain understanding. He gave a parable to the disciples so they could gain understanding. Now the word children is referring to the Jewish people. They were the covenantal people of God as established through Abraham. Now Matthew records that Jesus also says, I was was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It would be similar for us as a parent to say, well, I've got to take care of my kids first before I can take care of your kids. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm here to take care of God's children, God's kids, the Jewish people, before I can take care of any other kid. Now, the word dogs was a common way the Jewish people referred to anybody who wasn't a Jew. It was a derogatory term. Dogs were not house pets to Jewish people. Dogs were scavengers. Dogs would go out in the street. They would eat the trash. They would eat on dead things. And so Jewish people wouldn't have a pet dog because you never know where that dog went. And they could come into your house, and they could make it unclean. 
They can make it defiled. And so since this woman is not a Jew, there's no indication in Matthew or Mark she ever became a Jew. She's technically cut off from God. Therefore, she couldn't worship God at the temple. She would have never have offered a sacrifice for her sins, for her unclean life, for her wickedness, for her defilement. This is the sequence that Mark is led to put together for us to give understanding. Hands, vessels, pots, cushions don't make a person unclean. Food that goes in the stomach doesn't make a person unclean. And now, just because a person is not a Jew doesn't make them unclean. The proper understanding of dogs in the Greek actually means puppies or house pets. So Jesus is making a cultural statement. He understood Jews didn't have pet dogs, but people in this area did. And we have two dogs at home, uh, Ginger and Charlie. And they're miniature dachshunds. And one thing I can already plan on is when we sit at our dinner table for lunch, Ginger and Charlie are going to be circling the table like sharks. And they're going to be looking at our feet. They're going to be looking at us. They're going to be looking underneath the tables. One of their favorite sounds comes in the afternoon. When Abby comes down for a snack and she grabs a Cheez-It box, she pops open the lid and begins crunkling the plastic bag inside. It doesn't matter if they're asleep, if they're on the couch, if they're under the cover. It is like a herd of dogs come running down the stairs, come right up to Abby, and they just stare at her feet. And they hope one of those square cheese crackers is going to hit the floor. This is how the woman is responding to Jesus. His statement seems to be harsh, but it's a statement about dogs from her culture, not the Jewish culture. And as a matter of point, she does not take offense at it, if you notice. Verse 28, she replies to Jesus, yes, Lord. That actually means she hears what Jesus is saying, and she says, that is true, Master. Her statement is that she isn't trying to take anything which rightfully belongs to God's people. But she has this understanding that sometimes things fall from God's people which can satisfy what others need who aren't God's people. She's talking about overflow. In reality, this is what God originally spoke to Abraham when he began setting up the covenant which would form God's people. Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, God spoke to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of them through Abraham. There was going to be an overflow of covenant that God established with Abraham that would flow onto all peoples of the earth from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 7, God solidifies his covenant with Abraham. It says, when Abraham, Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. 
No longer shall you be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. From the very get-go, God told Abraham, you're going to be a father to a multitude of nations, and through you, my grace, my promises, my mercy will overflow onto them. Coming back here to Mark, if you remember the last couple of teachings by Jesus to the crowds and disciples, they failed to understand what Jesus was teaching. They failed to understand what he was saying. The disciples themselves failed to understand the meaning of the miraculous feeding, the meaning of what comes out of the heart. The religious leaders failed to understand God's word because they were so stuck on their traditions. There's been a lot of lack of understanding here in Mark chapter 7. But here on the Mediterranean coastline, a Gentile Greek woman understands what Jesus is saying because her response to Jesus' words, she reveals, I get it. She got it. Untrained. Never saw a miracle. Probably never heard Jesus teach any other time. And she got it. For this reason, Jesus acts on her behalf. Matthew points out, Jesus' response was also to this woman, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. This is one of the few times in all the Gospels that Jesus does a miracle or a healing simply by saying it has been done. He cast out a demon without physically having to be at the woman's house. There's power with God. It also reveals the truth of the weakness of our enemy. I kind of picture Jesus in his house saying, let it be done. Just kind of flicking his hand up in the air and the demon was cast out. But Jesus didn't even have to do that. He didn't even have to address the demon. And to point Jesus makes, which disciples, again, haven't gotten it, and they're not going to get it till later, is that there is no one out of the reach of God's mercy. God's mercy is for everyone. The Baker Encyclopedia says this about mercy. One of the most essential, it is one of the most essential qualities of God. Specifically, it designates that quality in God by which the fa- he faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationship with his chosen people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. In the Bible, there are words that are synonymous with mercy, words like grace, love, compassion, favor, pity, kindness. Going back to the Baker Encyclopedia, it says, at the heart of the concept of mercy is the love of God which is freely manifested in his gracious saving acts on behalf of those to whom he has pledged himself to in a covenant relationship. In the Old Testament, it was his chosen people, Israel, whom he elected to be his own and to whom he showed mercy. God persistently put up with his disobedient and wayward people and continuously sought them out to draw them back to himself. The most characteristic use of mercy in the New Testament is that of God's provision of salvation for mankind in Jesus Christ. 
God is the Father of mercies. He bestows on those who believe in His Son. It is because He is so rich in mercy that He saved those spiritually dead and doomed in their sins. Only by His undeserved favor have we ever been saved, all because of what Jesus Christ did. It is out of God's mercy that one is forgiven, and it's out of His mercy that one can be saved. Jesus responds to this woman in her cry for mercy by first giving her understanding of who he came first. It's not that he didn't come to save her, but he wants her to know that he first came for the children of God, the Jewish people. Then with this woman and her cry for mercy, he let it be known, or she let it be known that she understood that God is a merciful God, and he is not a God just for the Jewish people, but he is a God for all people. Whether or not she knew about that prophet Elijah and that story from the Old Testament, she understood that God of mercy could act. And she understood if the God of mercy would act on her behalf, even his crumbs would be significant and sufficient. So Jesus revealed by acting on his woman's behalf that God is a God of love. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of healing, and that healing is for everyone. And then again, this is going to be something disciples are going to wrestle with. And when you get to the book of Acts, and you're going to see that the disciples in the early church actually held two separate business meetings to deal with this very issue. Because they couldn't understand it yet. But we have to understand that God's mercy looks past cultural views. God's mercy looks past opinions and customs and roles and positions God's mercy looks past all of our sins and all of our failures. God's mercy overrides all of our uncleanliness, all, our, all of our evil and our wickedness. As God's people, we don't have to live in defeat. But now, if we are found in Jesus Christ, we live in victory because we have found the mercy of God for all of our sins and transgressions. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 13. Since the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Turning to Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And there's a song that I came across, I think it was last year, that I just love the chorus and the opening. It says, Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, there are many, but his mercy is more. It's the mercy of God that if you're found in Jesus Christ, that's what you've been given. His favor. Something that you do not deserve, something you cannot work for, even to keep. You're under the mercy of God. You've been saved because of his mercy, forgiven because of his mercy. Because our God is a loving God. 
And sometimes there are people who may come to church or people outside the church who have a completely opposite view of God. But the Bible reveals over and over again, and Jesus came to make God known to show that our God is merciful and loving and kind, and he's a God of grace. And because that is the God we serve and that is the God we represent, we must also be a people of mercy. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we find in Scripture we're to see the world that is in sin, and we're to see sin for what it is. It's a heart that is unclean. But the Bible also tells us we are in no place to be the judge of the sinner. Instead, we are to imitate Christ and be God-like and show them mercy, something which they don't deserve. But we didn't deserve it either, right? As God's people, our responsibility is to reveal the love and the mercy of God, which Jesus reveals here in Mark 7 is for all people. And we do that so they can understand it like this woman did, and then they can accept it. His mercy is for everyone. But there may be someone here this morning who's not under God's mercy and needs to accept it for the first time. The woman in our passage understood it. She understood that God's mercy was for her, even though she wasn't a Jew. Maybe that's what you need to understand yourself. God's mercy is for you, even though you may not be a child of God in this moment. And so this is the gospel we preach. God created you to be in a relationship with him. That's what you're created for. That's your purpose in life, is to be in a relationship with the one true God. The problem in that relationship is that it's our sins which separate us from him, from his love, from his grace, from his mercy. And sometimes we think, well, I'll just try to be a good person. I'll just try to do good things, but that doesn't work. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a perfect life according to God's holy standards. And he died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin, for your sin. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later to show that he has the power over death, the authority to forgive sins, and to grant eternal life to anyone who would cry out to God like this woman, have mercy on me. If you're here this morning, you've yet to make that confession of faith and the Holy Spirit's grabbing a hold of your heart. To understand what you need to do is you need to come before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness, your mercy, and I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior who died for my sin and rose again, and I believe. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 10, if we believe in our heart, then we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that may be where you need to be today. We're having this time of invitation. 
And if your heart is feeling something awkward going on, I'm going to invite you to come down and you can just sit here in the front row and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. Come and find God's mercy. It is abundant. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us, for saving us. Lord, every day you continue to lavish your mercy upon us. You know that we stumble. You know that we wrestle with things that we know we shouldn't do. Lord, you still love us through it all. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for saving a wretch like me. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who needs to begin a relationship with you found only through Jesus Christ, I pray that they walk down this aisle as we sing this song of invitation and that today would be the day of their salvation. Continue to glorify yourself. Continue to let your will and kingdom be done. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.